Manager Flow, where experienced and new people managers share their stories. Our guests span diverse industries and backgrounds, so you can learn from a wide array of dynamic leaders. Leading other humans is hard work, but don't worry, we've got you. Sit back, take notes, and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, I have a great conversation with Maya Gray. Maya currently is the Vice President of Customer Experience and Engagement at Pfizer. Yes, that Pfizer. They've been in the news a lot lately. I happen to have come out with an extremely effective vaccine that I'm very glad to have personally gotten. This episode is not sponsored by Pfizer, however. Uh, We have a great and illuminating conversation about her journey through different management roles, really starting from a technical perspective. She actually has a master's of science in engineering from Stanford, and then pivoting into more of a customer-facing business role. We talk about the change in mindset and skill sets uh, that occur at really every level of that journey. She has a lot of advice for companies that are uh, looking to bring more women, more people of color into leadership positions, and she reflects on her own journey as really an underrepresented minority in so many ways, uh, both from engineering perspective, but also now in a business leader perspective. I really admire Maya, and I learned a lot just in my short conversation with her, so I'm really excited for you to hear what she has to say. Let's do it. Hello, Maya. How are you? I'm great. It's Friday. So always happy Friday. (laughs) That's right. T-G-I-F-F. I I always add an extra F there, especially especially over the past year. (laughs) Well, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that you are taking some time to join the podcast. Your career is someone I've been following for the past couple of years since we crossed paths. And you're always just on to very exciting, cutting edge kind of thing. So maybe I'll just start with Tell me about what are you doing right now? What is your job? What kind of work do you do? What does your team look like? And then we'll kind of get into how the heck did you get there? Sure, sure. So I actually started with Pfizer about two and a half months ago, and I am responsible for the customer experience and engagement organization. And this is my first time in pharma. So it's, it's very different, but Pfizer is an, a really exciting organization to be in right now, especially because of the COVID vaccine and just kind of the purpose of the organization, breakthroughs that change patients' lives. I mean, you, if you can't get you know excited about that, who are you in healthcare at least? <laughs> so my team is, um, I have five teams that I'm responsible for, customer experience. So I have a research and insights group customer experience strategy, human-centered design, digital activation and engagement, as well as experience measurement and management. So we look at the full end-to-end customer experience for uh, patients, providers, and Pfizer colleagues as well. So we're designing experiences for both our internal and external customers. Wow. Okay. And so when you say customer, that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean consumer, right? That means an organization that Pfizer is doing business with. Is that right? No, we're actually looking at the end user, right? So our customers are providers, healthcare providers and patients. When you look at how Pfizer defines a customer, certainly we have kind of partnership and organizations that are customers like health systems. But really, when we design experiences, we're mostly focused on the patient's that uh, use our drug therapies and the providers that prescribe our drug therapies, that as well as we have a customer segment that is internal and special to us, which are other Pfizer colleagues. So it sounds like a really low stress job. 
<laughs> it's a lot, but I have a lot of great help. My team is super talented, really creative. And again, it's it's Pfizer's mission to create breakthroughs that change patient lives. And in order to do that, you have to you partner effectively both internally and externally. So we have a ton of support at every level of the organization. That that's amazing. What is your department or I, I mean, I guess you have five departments reporting into you. What what's kind of the total headcount of your kingdom, so to speak? Um, and what's the reporting structure? Is there is there a layer of managers that report into you or what does that look like? Sure. So I have right now five direct reports. We're bringing on a few more in the next few weeks. And all of my, we call it LT or leadership team at Pfizer. Most of them are senior directors and I have one director who's reporting to me. And four of the people on my LT are people managers. So they have teams that reported up to them and they may have, you know, managers and or directors that report up to them depending on how big their teams are. Um, We have just under 50 people, but growing to about six over the course of this year. So it's a lot, but it's, again, it's, it's small enough that I know everyone by name. I've been able to meet everyone on the team. We have a global team. So of course we have a lot of folks in the U.S., but we also have folks in the U.K. and um, Denmark and the UAE and India. So we have a great distributed workforce. Amazing. What are some of the biggest differences that you might experience when you kind of graduate from being a director or like leading individual contributors to being in a position that you're in now where you're leading a team of people managers that are also responsible for their their own individual departments? Yeah, it's, I mean, it just layers in the goodness of people management, (laughs) as I always say. Everyone's not built to be a people manager. A lot of people want to be in management because they think that's the way to grow their career. And it really takes a lot to balance kind of the needs of your team with what you need to get done as well. When I look at kind of my career progression, I can't say that it was easier to manage individual contributors versus people managers. It just brings a different set of challenges and managing more senior people sometimes can be helpful because they have experience in management, but it really depends on what their management style is and if you're aligned on on how you want to treat your people and, and how well that works. Because I can obviously have control over individual contributors and how I relate to my team. I can't force someone else's leadership style, my leadership style upon someone else. So I just hope that we gel and we can make the best possible circumstance for the broader team. Right. I imagine that feeling of when you've got people surrounding you that you really can trust as leaders that aren't just kind of necessarily doing the work, but are responsible for their own little slice of the pie. I imagine that that kind of synergy must feel really satisfying, being able to be so open and candid and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So I've been really lucky, I will say, with the managers that I've worked with who reported directly to me. We always have a concern about our people. And one thing I learned over the course of my career is always start with people, right? So in my LT meetings, I'm like, all right, we're starting with people. Let's talk about what's going on with our teams any personal issues or professional issues that you need to bring up that we can discuss as a management team so that we can help, um, you know, brainstorm and address them. You know, caring about your people, if if they know you care about them, then they work harder, quite frankly, and they're more productive. Amazing. It's like it cuts. Sometimes it really is just that simple. Like if if you ask about how someone's kid is doing or 
if you know, remember the name of their dog, like little things like that. It just, you can exactly. see that. Yeah. So if we could back up, how did you get into this type of work? And was it always healthcare in particular or the technology side or the business side? And I know that could probably, you know, be four podcasts, probably you've got a lot of experience, but um, if you could somehow distill it yeah, let's. I'll go quickly. I actually, so interestingly, I'm trained as an engineer, I'm an undergrad and graduate degree in engineering, but really knew that I didn't want to be a practicing engineer. So I went into consulting to try to kind of figure things out and started in strategy consulting, but then moved on to technology consulting, but only did that for a couple of years. You can learn a ton of stuff. Consulting's great. It's just not for me long-term. And I happened into healthcare. Actually, just over 19 years ago, I was hired onto a large ERP implementation project at Bonsecor Health Systems. And, and they hired me because of work I'd done while I was in consulting doing CRM implementation. Mm-hmm. So just happened that I started in healthcare and really applying technology to business problems, right, is what we were doing. And that's what I've done pretty much my entire career in healthcare. And typically, Bonsecor is probably the most technical because I was like literally in the system configuring and implementing the software. But uh, I moved on to short scripts and I always kind of bridge the gap between technology in business mm-hmm. um, in an organization. And it helps that I have like that engineering background and can understand technology, but also can understand kind of commercial needs and customer needs and be able to translate in both directions, the technology organization to our customers and our customers' needs back into the technology organization. And I've been doing kind of customer-facing work in technology organizations and healthcare technology organizations for the past 15 plus years since I started Shortscripts and went from Shortscripts to a medical device company, Brainscope, and then from Brainscope to a small startup, um, Apervita, that also did platform as a service and software as a service um, in healthcare, and then on to Pfizer. So it just, I've been kind of dabbling around the healthcare ecosystem. And this is my first time in pharma, as I shared earlier, but Everything that I've learned, I can apply at Pfizer, which is, and then learn more about pharma as well. So it's, it's super exciting for me. I can only imagine. It really stands out to me. I think that you you really started with a super solid technical background and I'm curious if you would agree with this. I typically give younger people who I might be mentoring or counseling or, or what, you know, mm-hmm. they don't know what they want to do yet. I will often say try something technical first. Mm-hmm. And, and if you hate it, you don't actually have to do it, but just having that empathy for what technical work looks like and then going from a technical career to a non-technical career, you know, making that pivot is a hell of a lot easier than starting not technical and then going technical. And by the way, you don't have to get a CS degree, but learn SQL, learn HTML, yeah. Get really good at Excel, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, just something. Yeah. Like yeah, no, I agree. I agree. That I started in engineering because I knew it would be a good foundation. And again, I chose not to do it, you know, ultimately for a career. But I agree with you that starting with something technical and then being able to go into business is, is a lot easier than the reverse. And one thing that technology or engineering in particular teaches you how to do is really solve problems, right? And everything in business is a problem that you're trying to solve. So you just have a different perspective on how to solve it. And I've just found that helpful throughout my career. And I I tell people, like, start technically or learn something technical and then, then transition. So I agree with you 100%. 
So now at what point in your career journey did you first become responsible for other humans as a people manager? And how did that go? Did you know you wanted to do that? Did you fall into it? Kind of take me through that piece of it. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess it was also at Bon Secours. My first job wasn't in people management. It actually was a team lead. So I was responsible for like process and deliverables, but not the people. And then I transitioned in in my next role at Bon Secours. I was managing actually one person. So (laughs) my first management manager's job was one individual. I think, you know, I have a very strong personality and I'd like to say I'm a natural leader. I think you grow as a leader if you actually want to lead people. And certainly it's been a process. It's a journey, not a destination, as they say. I certainly am not perfect now and was far from perfect when I started as I was figuring out how to balance kind of my responsibilities with that of my team, even though it was a smaller team. And and I've made mistakes along the way and luckily have learned from, (laughs) I hope learned from them. I hope my team now, let's say I've learned from them. So. What was that experience like in probably you were an excellent team lead and then all of a sudden you're managing and mentoring people, which are complex and cannot be complex. Um, Yeah. And I've always been like a manager who also has to work. Right. So I've never been a manager who's like able to just like sit and tell people kind of what to do. I don't even know if I want to be that type of manager. So I'll say transitioning from kind of leading process and deliverables to leading people is one being more empathetic. I don't drive as hard now as I did when I first started, but you really do have to understand kind of where people are and meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. I know this young woman who was my first team member, the first person I really managed, she was super smart, super smart. But she she second-guessed herself constantly, which I just don't generally do as a, as a person. I'm like, I know this, I'm getting this done, you know? And it drove me crazy. I was like, you know that, like, you know this stuff. Like, why are you second-guessing yourself? And I think I just wasn't as patient. And at some point I said to her, look, you're smarter than this. Like, you know this stuff. And like, she told, like, my my intent was to reinforce her and support her. And she did not feel that way. She was totally offended by me saying, look, you're smarter than that. She escalated to my manager. We had to have like a kumbaya sit down and figure out like how I could do better. And I remember just feeling so bad because I thought I was being super supportive of her because again, she was super smart, but it just wasn't the tough love what didn't work for her. So I think you do really have to figure out kind of who can take that and who can't and when it's necessary and when it's not. And in that instance, it absolutely wasn't necessary because she was a hard worker and again, a really intelligent young woman, but she needed a different type of support. So again, meeting people where they are is super important. That's so interesting. I use kind of that tough love approach sometimes too. And I I also sometimes wonder if it's like, is this not where the person, and it's hard because in the moment you, um, you feel like, well, I can see how great you are and you're not. (laughs) Exactly. 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 I'll tell you, I don't use it very much anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very careful and I deal with much more experienced people. I have direct reports who are, and have had direct reports who are older than me um, and more experienced, but I just don't use it as much as I used to. Very infrequently, it has to be a really difficult situation when I bring it out. So So what would you have told yourself at that point, your younger manager self? Would you have said, 
just stop talking, listen more, or like, like what specific advice would have helped you kind of hit that out of the park a little more? (laughs) Yeah. I would tell myself that she, ultimately she was taking over a job that I had done. Right. And I don't, I can't remember right now how I learned that job, uh, but I probably taught myself a lot and, and had a mentor, quite frankly, when I was learning it. And again, my default is to figure things out. That's what engineering has taught me to do is like, I can figure it out, like just buckle down and do it. I would say to my younger self, like be patient, recognize where she is, recognize what she needs from you as a manager, what support she needs and save that tough love until you get to know her a little bit better. And if it's necessary, because again, like I knew she would get where she needed to be and it it just really required more patience on my part. Yeah. Uh, I I am also not a very patient person and... (laughs) (laughs) I've I've learned to be more patient. It works a lot better when you're more patient. I'll I'll tell you. (laughs) So Maya, next I'd really love to hear from you how your career, your management style intersects with your identity. Mm -hmm. I I can't help but just realize that you're, you're kind of a triple threat, right? You're a woman in engineering, you're a black woman, and you are, well, a woman (laughs) in... (laughs) And, you know, you may have other other things that feel underrepresented to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, go you. That's incredible. Thank You're you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but how did being a sort of underrepresented in all these spaces affect mm-hmm. your journey? Did it? Did you experience any obstacles? Do you think in some ways it gave you a secret advantage? You know, sometimes people say they feel more noticed. And so some, you know, you can like capitalize on that sometimes or... Yeah. Tell, tell me your experience. So it's a great question. So one good thing about starting off at an engineering school is that you're used to being in the minority as a woman. And I also went to a, a predominantly white institution for both undergraduate and graduate school. So I was also used to being a minority, literally, <laughs> as an African-American woman. Um, so there are challenges there. And certainly, again, as I mentioned, I have a strong personality and am not afraid of a lot and not afraid to speak up. As I've grown and matured, I've learned kind of when to speak up and how to, you know, their nuances certainly there. I would say, you know, I think being a Black woman has helped me a lot as, and probably has hurt me equally. I honestly couldn't say what has been more of the case along the way, because obviously I'm not in the room when conversations are occurring and decisions are being made. I'd like to think being able to progress in my career so well because I'm relatively smart, I'm focused, I have great work ethic. And another thing that's worked well for me is that I'm able to relate to a lot of different people because I've always had to, because I'm not usually in an environment where everyone looks like me. Like that doesn't, that that never happens, right? At work, whether it's that there are no other women or there are no other Black women or no other Black people. Like there, I'm usually... An in of one, or maybe there are two of us. So I'm used to having to adjust and or what I've taken. One thing about being in leadership is that you have the opportunity to share yourself with people in ways they wouldn't see a Black person or interact even with a woman in technology. So I have the advantage there because people can't help but to work with me because I'm the you know, I'm in charge, uh, so to speak. So I, what I do is this, I share myself with my team and my organization and make sure that I'm authentic and I show up as Maya and not as, you know, Maya, a black woman who's being careful about making people feel comfortable with me. Um, I don't think that's my job. 
I think that my job is to get to know people and share myself with people, both personally and professionally, right? They can, whatever biases they may have or what they may believe about Black people may change based on how they interact with me. Yeah. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have this theory about being a, a minority of, of sort of any flavor that I think very underrepresented particularly in areas of leadership and management. And that's a huge problem. And I'm trying to help close some of that gap by putting these management resources out there and and getting more people to consider management and leadership um, careers. I think that minorities have, are exceptionally suited for management roles because I think we have to collect, we have to create coalitions. We're kind of used to scenarios where in order, whether it's civil rights or women's rights or LGBTQ, you can never be a lone person, you know, advocating for your cause. You have to be strategic and getting allies and getting people to kind of see. And so we come to the table with this collaborative nature We hear stories about the civil rights movement and what the NAACP had to do back in the fifties to get, you know, white moderates Mm -hmm. on like that still very much exists. And it's unfortunate that we're in this situation at all. But I think there's, there's a lot of business lessons that can be extrapolated from the cause of civil rights or just the feeling of being a minority. And, Mm -hmm. and so I wish that more people of color, minorities, you know, sexual identity, minorities, gender diverse people would raise their hands because I think they could be exceptionally good at these types of roles. So what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm nodding my head and saying yes in agreement. I agree a hundred percent that some of us, and you know, I don't want to overgeneralize because uh, that would be stereotyping. Right. <laughs> I think some of us are well-equipped because that is again, how we've had to live our lives. Like we've had to find allies We've had to find people that are, be, are willing to work with us um, and meet us and or find ways to bring people over <laughs> to, to, to our way of thinking or, or to our side, so to speak, because we we have been in a minority in organizations. And I think that speaks to kind of EQ as well as just almost understanding people at a, a very basic level better and understanding kind of what makes people tick. And if you can really understand a person, you can absolutely partner with them more effectively. So I I think being a people manager now too is much harder than it ever used to be. I mean, (laughs) me too, Black Lives Matter, we're in a pandemic, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's so much harder. I think that, I mean, what advice would you have to people that are kind of stepping into management roles now for the first time? You know, I would say, If that's something that you're passionate about, absolutely do it. Be authentic, though, because that's what your team needs from you is like authentic leadership and be vulnerable, like share yourself with your team and work through it, like figure out like what your style is going to be. I wouldn't say to mimic anyone, certainly learn from other managers around you, find some mentors and listen to feedback. One thing that I've done, and and sometimes it's been more painful than others, but I've asked my team to give me upward feedback because again, like I'm not perfect. Right. And as much as they may love me, there's always something and may not love me, (laughs) but there's always something I can, I can work on. So I think that having that vulnerability, and sharing that with your team is is super important. I wish that I had more managers who did that, who really accepted direct upward feedback from their team members because they could they could grow so much more as managers. So, 
I'm one of the weird, but one of the odd ones outward that that is actually my favorite kind of feedback for my team because mm-hmm. they are they are so invested <laughs> in yeah. me being better that I I just I love it. I feel like yeah. those are some of my most like professionally satisfying conversations is is when and and I feel so proud too that that they're at the point where they even feel comfortable doing it. So yeah. it's like, I know yeah. I'm doing something right, that we can have this honest conversation. And yeah, it's so important. So That's really important. great. That's yeah. really great. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just kind of finish up with, um, you know, what what can companies and company leaders um, and even people who are in that first-time management role do to encourage more women, minorities, underrepresented folks to raise their hand for those management roles because uh, representation really drops off so much at each, mm-hmm. at each level. What can we do? I, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, invest in your people. And by invest, like if you have people who have management, people of color who have management potential and haven't stepped up, maybe it's that they need a training course or, you know, a mentor or whatever in the organization and they need to feel supported. Also, one thing um, that's been really powerful for me at Pfizer, I mean, Pfizer is a huge organization and honestly don't know uh, what our people of color count is or our Black percentage of Black colleagues is. But um, when I, when my internal announcement went out, there was an instant response almost from the leaders of our global Black community, um, which is a colleague resource group for for African-American colleagues. And each of them uh, individually reached out to me and said, hey, welcome. I know you're crazy busy right now. Just know I'm here to support you, you know, set up time if you want, which I did, right? Just to say, hey, thanks. (laughs) I felt like I was, you know, uh, (laughs) embraced by the community that obviously isn't physically together right now. And I don't work with any of them directly, but it it just felt good. So having that resource uh, and support group for a person of color is is really critical. I've been in organizations, mostly small organizations, where, again, I wasn't in a one, um, so I didn't have that support, although I had other types of support. So, you know, one, investing in their management and leadership skills, as well as providing a support um, network or infrastructure for people of color, it, it makes a huge difference. So that would be my advice. Totally. Love it. Is LinkedIn kind of the best way for folks who are listening that want to want to follow your career and see what you have to say? Is that the best place to find you? Or do you have a website? Yeah, sure. Reach out. Yeah. I know. I just have LinkedIn. <laughs> reach out. <laughs> reach out on LinkedIn. I am always open to a conversation um, and, and would love uh, to have any sort of conversation surrounding leadership with uh, people of color or otherwise, especially young women. So. Hell yeah. Well, Maya, thank you so much. This has been an absolutely fabulous conversation. And I look forward to seeing you again in person someday. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being on. 